All right, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Esther. Let's turn to Esther chapter 4. <clears throat> In Esther uh, chapter 4, again, we have, um, you know, kind of the most famous sentence out of the book of Esther, uh, where Mordecai says, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Um, and when we consider this passage, you know, it's not exactly a Thanksgiving sermon, but, you know, the Bible does tell us to be thankful even when we are considered worthy to suffer for the Lord. Now, my prayer for each of you is that the only suffering you go through this week is eating too much on Thursday. Um, but we know that there comes a time when the Lord calls us into difficult situations. None of us, none of us like the feeling of receiving shocking news, thoroughly disturbing, bad news. Your heart sinks, your mind goes in overdrive, and many times your emotions will not allow you to seek out uh, the appropriate kinds of solutions. Um, this morning we're going to see how the Jews responded to the news that they would all be legally killed within the year. Because remember, that's, that's our context. In, in Esther chapter 3, basically King Xerxes is convinced by his chief official, Haman to allow basically all the Jews in Persia to be killed on a, a specific day. It is actually, now this wouldn't have been anything to the Persians, but it was actually the day before the Passover. And so they were actually, there was a decree that went out across all the empire that said that on this particular day, that everybody could rise up and kill the Jews and take all of their possessions and it would be legal. And that Haman would actually pay 10,000 talents out so that this could be done. And so when we look at this passage, we are seeing now the response of the Jews, specifically Mordecai and Esther, as they begin to learn about this. And what we're really going to be focusing on is the dialogue between Mordecai and Esther because they don't speak face to face but they still have a conversation, and, and let's see how they process what's happened and, and what they need to do next. Now, if we were in the same situation, if we were told within the year, legally, you will be killed off. Now, it can be, you know, because for, the, for them, it was everybody of their nation, so it was every Jewish person. So, you know, it might be every Alabama fan or every Auburn fan or whatever, but, but if you knew that every person that is like you in some way is going to be legally murdered within a year. How would we handle that? How would we go about that? We might be paralyzed in fear, but it is important for us to look to the Lord for deliverance, especially in a situation like that. We may not understand God's plan or His timing, but we must trust or we must learn to trust in His will. It's difficult to trust. That is the most difficult thing, I think, as far as the Christian walk goes, is that we know God is all-powerful. We know that He has a plan. We know that He loves us and He means good for us. But we're still going to get in there and try to fix the problem ourselves. And so that's where the, the problem is, and, that, and that's where it kind of lies. And we're also going to look at the problem and see if we think it can be fixed. And that's where Esther was. And, and so we're going to be looking at how they responded and ultimately what they choose to do. And I think we're actually going to find a good pattern for us when we start facing trouble that seems too big or too great or impossible to fix. I believe that that's exactly what this situation is all about. 
So the sermon in a sentence is this. God is never surprised by the challenges we face. In fact, he always has a plan to overcome them. All right, so I'm going to read you Esther chapter 4. It's only 17 verses. And I think I can say, well, I can say all but one of the words. Um, I could, could this morning. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, uh, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with, uh, cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping with lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply depressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatach, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hatch um, went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to give into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hatach um, went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatch um, and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if, I, that if any man or woman goes to, the king, goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in to the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And my young women and I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Okay. So we're looking at the timing of the Lord because this has been in his time. So we know that in the third year of King Xerxes, he threw a party 
and he didn't get his way in that party, and so he lost his queen, or gave away his queen, got rid of his queen, and so we had to have another queen, and so we get to the seventh year of his reign, and, and, and then we eventually choose Esther to be the queen, and then we go more years, and we raise up Haman, and Haman has this grudge, or this, this uh, vendetta against M Mordecai, and so now we have a crisis. So when we look at this particular story, you might think that, that God says, oh, well, I've got Esther right here, I'll just do this. But the reality is God's been working on this plan for at least 15 years, but we know that God had this plan written before time began. And so when we look at this, the first thing I want to mention about God's timing is that He has had a plan always. He's not coming up with a plan. He's not surprised by what you face, like the Sermon in the Senate says. He's not surprised by what you're going to face or what's going to hit you. He is ready for what is coming up. Now, this seems like a hopeless situation or a hopeless plight. And as should be expected, Mordecai did not receive the news of the king's decree well. In fact, no Jew received it well. They were told that they were going to be legally murdered. And so the basic response from all of God's people was despair. Um, the action of, of ripping their clothes was reserved for the grimmest of times, such as the loss of a loved one. That's usually when that happens. Um, we know that there was, a lot of times they would tear their clothes if they thought they'd heard blasphemy. You see that in the New Testament. Um, but for the most part, the sackcloth, the ashes, the torn clothes, all of that is for grief. It, it is for terrible grief. Now we know that Job did that, but, but he lost everything that he had. We know that other um, people that we studied in the Old Testament, they did this from time to time, but it was usually about grief. And these people are literally grieving themselves the loss of their life, the loss of their lineage, the loss of, of what could be, what might be. They're, they're grieving the loss of who they are because for them, they know that the time is coming. Um, so, in this case, um, every Jewish inhabitant in the Persian Empire had just received a death penalty to be conducted in less than a year. We know that it took as much as three months for that decree to go out. Um, so while there was mostly 11 months when the decree was made, by the time it actually happens, you know, some of them, it may be a whole different season of year by the time they get the message that, oh, you're going to be killed in, in six or seven months. And so for them, it was a terrible, terrible time and grief was going on everywhere. Everyone knew that Persian laws could not be repealed and this law really did seem to come out of nowhere. As best we can tell, the Jews were not agitators. Um, they had not created issues or problems. They simply were existing in the Persian Empire much like other races that had been conquered and then assimilated into the Persian Empire. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> they were not doing anything wrong. They simply, all of a sudden, were in the fight of their lives. Now, uh, this one man's vendetta. Remember, Haman is going into the gate one day and he, he is told, or maybe he's not going in the gate at that time, but he is told that Mordecai will not bow down before him. And when Mordecai doesn't bow down before him, he wants to kill Mordecai. But he's too high and mighty to kill one man. And so instead he chooses to kill all the Jews so that it, it gets back on his basic level. Um, and so that's what he chooses to do, and that's how all of this gets started. You know, for the time being, Christians live in relative peace, at least here in America. We live in relative peace. But we know that the day is coming when the children of God will fall under attack. 
in that day, one thing that I will say, we must, be rest, we must rest assured that God has a plan. God absolutely has a plan for what's going to happen. Now, will there be Christians that are persecuted? Will there be Christians that are killed? Yes, it's happening right now in other parts of the world. We have to be ready to watch and prepare for God's own plan. On a personal level, some of you have already been here. Some of you have already walked down this road. But on a personal level, we will eventually face a situation that feels completely hopeless. It'll happen. You'll be in a situation where you don't know up from down. You don't know what you're supposed to do next. We will all be there. We'll all be there at some point. And here's the thing. Weeping, lamenting, and wearing sackcloth, those were all signs of grief. But the Jews also began to fast. Now, the fast, this is where we get to see that the Jews were actually thinking about something other than just their sorrow. The fast was supposed to be a time for God's people to turn back to Him in prayer and supplication. So when we are facing the worst that this world has to offer, we must remember that we have the best possible help. And so, when we face something, maybe we're not talking about yet the persecution of all Christians, but we can face hopeless and helpless situations, or at least by the world standards. When we face those situations, we must remember, turn to the Lord. Just like the Jews did. They turned to the Lord, at least in their fasting and in their prayers. They may not have not, not even known what to ask for, but they turned to Him. So turn to the Lord in the darkness of your sorrows, and He will shine His light of love and grace upon you. And so, here is Mordecai. He, is, he can't go to his job, he can't go to the king's gate and sackcloth and ashes, so he is in the city, city center mourning. He, he is in despair, and Esther finds out. Now, the king's women, including, uh, including Esther, would have lived a life of isolation. They would have been kind of cut off from what was going on. So, it is very fair to assume... And, and the way this is written, so it might be difficult to understand this, but Esther didn't know about the decree. And so it's very fair to assume that, that she wouldn't have known about this until someone tells her about it. Women weren't involved in political affairs. And so her and, and all the other of the king's wives would have been isolated. She wouldn't have been around it. And what we do know is that Esther was keeping her heritage a secret. But there had to be some folks, at least in her inner circle that knew who she was and who Mordecai was to her, or her relation to Mordecai. So when her dear relative appears in public the way that he does, in the city square, crying, lamenting, a bitter cry, it says, the sackcloth, the ashes, somebody decides to tell her about what's going on. So she seeks an explanation and that would be the same for any of us. If somebody that you love, that you hold dear, you find out that they are in mourning, that they are in great grief, and you don't know why, that's the first thing you're going to want to do is find out why. Now, she could not go to Mordecai. That was not within the rules. She was, she was one of the king's women. She was the queen. She could not just go out and talk to Mordecai. That, they, they were always isolated. So she sent a servant um, she sent a man to go and talk to Mordecai. And at first, she tries to send him clothes. Well, maybe he's poor. Maybe he's been fired. Maybe he doesn't have his job anymore. Maybe whatever. Here's some clothes. 
get dressed, get cleaned up, you know, get back to, to life as it was. But, but Mordecai refuses the clothes. Instead, he tells Esther's messenger everything that has taken place and orders her to go before the king to plead for her people. And so this is what Mordecai's idea is. You go. You talk to the king. That's, that's what his idea is. That's what he suggests that she does. Now, when Esther learns everything that's happened, she learns about the decree, knows what that is going to be. She no doubt was moved by the same kind of grief that all the other Jews were. We don't see her getting in sackcloth and ashes, but we know that she would be moved to that same kind of grief. Grief, um, and, and, and she, um, she feels helpless. And the reason she feels helpless is because she is not allowed to go before the king. So according to the laws and traditions of the Persian court, she did not have access to the king until he summoned her. And she even mentions it's been 30 days since he summoned me. And so, you know, kind of a weird marriage. I'll summon you, otherwise you just, you just stay in your room. Um, but that was the kind of deal, that the arrangement that they had. And so, so she is not allowed... And so she knows the law, she knows the tradition, she knows the consequences for breaking those laws and traditions, and so she feels helpless at this particular point to help or to, to do anything, um, basically to, to advance God's people's um, needs or their, their situation in any way. Also, given the king's history with disobedient wives, she doesn't have a reason to believe that he's going to be receptive to her if she steps outside of tradition and, and tries to approach him without a summons. So, if she does not find favor in the king's eyes, it is a death sentence for her. Now, Mordecai could have argued this a, a lot of different ways, but what we have to realize, at least to, to a certain extent, is that if she doesn't go and speak to the king or try to speak to the king, then she will probably die in this, in this massacre that, that, that's coming. But if she does go and she's rejected, then she's going to die either way. She does feel like she's in a hopeless place, a place where she can't do anything about it. And just like Esther, we're going to face situations in which, according to the world's wisdom, we're completely helpless traditions, we don't realize how much they bind us. We don't realize just how powerful those things are. They, they control us. They keep us from doing things that we might would do. Laws sometimes can do the very same thing. Sometimes it's just relationships or, 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 or parts of our lives that we don't want to change or can't change. But there are things that put us in a situation where we feel helpless. We have to trust God in those times. If we play by the rules... We're not actually acting in faith or being obedient. We're actually living in fear. We've got to actually be willing to step outside the framework of tradition um, and expectations and follow the Lord even into a dangerous place because that's where Esther is about to be told that she must go. And so, well, finally we get to, this, to the, kind of the heart of this here where Mordecai responds to her. Um, and, and what we're going to see here is an honorable risk. When Esther's words reach Mordecai, he has a very bold response for her. You know, she says basically, I can't go because if I do go and he doesn't receive me, then I'll be killed. Um, and he hasn't summoned me in a long time, so I don't know when he's going to summon me. So basically, she has excuses or reasons why she can't do what she feels like probably is the right thing to do anyway. 
And Esther gives, I mean, and Mordecai gives basically a threefold answer that, that is, like I say, it's very bold. It seems pretty, pretty clear what he's saying. He says, first, her place in the palace will not protect her from the massacre that is coming. Even though she is in the palace, she is a queen, and her identity might be a secret from most people, some people knew. And others were probably going to be able to guess, even by this communication between Mordecai, secrets don't stay secret. And so if, if they were going to kill all the Jews out there in the empire, somebody was probably going to go and kill her as well. In fact, he says this, Secondly, Mordecai was convinced that God would deliver his people, but if Esther did not step out in faith, he believed that her and her father's house would perish. She, Mordecai believes that God's going to do something. He doesn't use the name of the Lord, but we know where that help is coming from. But he believes that Esther and her house will be lost otherwise. Family lines are very important to, to the Jews, especially during this time. Uh, Esther's family line was in danger of extinction. Remember, she's an orphan. And so anything that, that her family can pass on has to be passed on through her to a son that she might have one, of those, one, one day in the future. And so remember, each Jewish family that had an inheritance from the time of the conquest that passed down from father to son, father to son, down through the generations. If a family line is erased for the Jews, the threat of that would be very similar to someone telling you, well, you might lose your salvation. Just think about that. You'll lose your place in heaven. You'll lose everything that God has for you. You'll lose it all. Just imagine that thought kind of hitting you. Well, for, for a Jewish family to lose, basically for their line to cease, for, for them not to be able to pass on their inheritance to the next generation, it was that way. And so, and, and this was not just the Jews. This was kind of an ancient mindset entirely. People didn't want their line, their family line to die out. And so for Mordecai telling her, your, your family line is going to die out. It will die with you, you and all your father's people. This was a pretty tremendous threat here. So the third point that Mordecai makes, definitely, I think, probably the best one. Mordecai's third point is that it is highly likely that Esther has been placed in her position beside the king specifically for this crisis. We know that God's plan does not work according to our timing, which is good because the timing of the Lord is always perfect. Again, if you trace back the timeline, all of these things, at least from the worldly standpoint, we know that God has been working on this plan from way before, but at least from the worldly standpoint, the party that the king threw, the, 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 the contest that he held, the, the fact that Haman wasn't raised up early on, that he was raised up later, all of this is part of God's timing and part of God's plan and the work that he has been done. So Esther is convinced by what Mordecai says, by the message that she receives from Mordecai. But she is not going to approach the king unarmed. She is not going to go in there without some kind of backup, without some kind of plan, some kind of strength. So she declares a three-day fast among all the Jews in Susa, and even declares that the women of her household fast with her for three days. 
Now, that was forbidden. Um, we don't know all the laws and regulations within the Persian court, but not eating was not something that the king's women were allowed to do. They couldn't take risks with their health. They couldn't do things that might detract from their beauty. Uh, the, the beauty of the queen was the glory of the king. And so all of that was kind of against her policy. Remember that beauty regiment and all the things that they had to go through just to get into the competition? Well, she won the competition, so all that would have continued on. So what Esther does is they fast three days, uh, night and day. Now, some Jewish fasts only lasted the daylight hours. In other words, from, from dawn till dusk, they would fast, and then they could have a, a meal at night, and if they got up early, maybe a meal in the morning. But this was a full three-day fast, nothing in the day, nothing at night. And this was a time to turn to the Lord, to seek His, uh, to seek his guidance, but also for His strength. So this was not a time where they stopped and worried and, and, and dwelt in their self-pity. Uh, Esther and her people would have been praying for divine favor to rest upon them. This is what they sought. They hoped that God would divinely inspire or, or direct the king to accept Esther when she goes before him. That's what they were specifically praying for. Because if, she doesn't, if he doesn't reach that scepter out to her, then she is therefore, basically her life is forfeit. So based on the things that, that Mordecai said to Esther, there are some practical applications I believe that we can put into our lives as we face maybe some, some situations, maybe not on the same scale, but definitely some, some situations that are similar. So first, while it is currently safe to be a Christian in America, it is not safe everywhere in the world for those who bear the name of Christ. We watched last year as several different groups of Canadian Christians were persecuted. Um, that's on our continent we know that it happens in China. We know that it happens in the Middle East. And it is going to continue to happen more and more and more. As our country gets more inclusive, the one group that it's going to exclude is Christians. Why? Because we are an exclusive group. We believe there is one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And so we are an exclusive group, and as we continue to say that and to proclaim that, people are going to want to kick us out or to treat us badly. We should not assume that our relative isolation from persecution, from the persecution of the church up to this point will keep us safe in the future. We shouldn't assume that. Just like Esther shouldn't assume that because she's the queen, she wouldn't face the same massacre as everybody else. We shouldn't assume that just because we are in America and we are free now that we will always be free. We need to prepare our hearts now for the trouble that will come so that we will be able to turn to the Lord for help. This is something that, that I think that we have to think about often. What is your choice in that moment? Are you going to bow down or are you going to stand firm in the Lord? Make that choice now so that we don't have to wonder about what we might do later. The second thing, we should know that God is absolutely going to prevail in every situation. And he is able to have victory with or without us. That was one of the things that Mordecai told to Esther. God's going to deliver us. But if you don't step up and help, you will perish. God's will is marching on. His plan will be completed. His victory will be seen. We need to take a part in it. If we are faithful to Him, He will use us, and that will be our deliverance. But if we hide in fear or stubbornly insist on keeping with traditions, we will be swallowed up in the trouble that is to come. We will be. 
As American Christians, we have been granted peace, prosperity, and freedom. Around the world, Christians suffer, starved, and are persecuted for their faith. We know that, that we have been given a unique opportunity. We know that we have come into this position to help spread the news of salvation regardless of the personal risk it might bring. So Esther had to go tell the king, hey, you're about to kill my people and me as well. We have to go tell the world Jesus has died so that you might live, so that you might be set free. Whatever trouble we might face, God is prepared to bring about our deliverance and it is our role to be faithful to Him. No matter how dangerous or scary we think it is, we have to be faithful to Him. So, as we think about Esther, what we think about, I think, more than anything else is the fact that she was in a position where she had to trust God. She had to be brave. She had to be bold, even though that probably was not what she wanted to be and do. At that time, she probably wanted to just be the queen, be the pretty flower, stay away from the, the politics and the drama and all those other things. But she didn't do that. And we can't be that pretty flower either. We have to serve. We have to stand and we have to be faithful. And so, as I've said, let's make that choice now rather than waiting until the moment. Because in that moment, flesh may overcome faith. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you so much for your word and we thank you for the example that Esther and Mordecai left. They were in a position where they didn't know what they were going to do next. They didn't know exactly how you were going to deliver them. As we look at this story, Lord, we don't see a prophet. We don't see someone saying, thus says the Lord, here comes your deliverance. We see people who are following after you, following after your will, seeking your guidance, much like we might be ourselves. We don't have a prophet saying, thus says the Lord, but we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit to try to live the best way we can in this world. And Father, I pray that we will always be faithful to seek you first, that we will not live in fear, that we will not just conform to whatever the world tells us is next, that we would look to you. Now, we may not be in as drastic a situation as Esther and Mordecai were, at least not yet, but those days could come, and they could come much sooner than we think. So I pray that you help us right now to make a commitment that we will follow you regardless of the consequences. Let us be faithful to you because you have always been faithful to us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.